You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So as we get underway this morning, I want to share this. One of the, one of the most popular kinds of books or articles in our day is the kind that offers an inventory, a checklist, if you will, of how we can fit into certain categories. You can check a few boxes, for example, and find out if you're in good health, if you're financially stable or teetering on the the brink of disaster, or if you're a good parent. It seems that there are checklists for everything in the world, including Jeff Foxworthy's tips to know if you're a redneck. In case you're wondering about that, let me give you some indicators that will help clarify that for you. You might be a redneck if you own a home that is mobile and five cars that aren't. You might be a redneck if you've ever been fired from a construction job due to appearance. You might be a redneck if you've ever hollered, rock the house, Bubba, during a piano recital. Or my favorite, You may be a redneck if you've ever just stared at an orange juice can because it says, concentrate. Today, we're going to look at a series in a Bible passage of inventory on ourselves. A 10-point inventory that we're going to see five of today and five next week from the same passage. But first, let me remind us where we've been. For the past few weeks, we've been discovering how God's truly closer than we think. We've talked about his desire to be close to us, to be with us. We've talked about how it's really left up to us how we choose to engage in that relationship. The third week, we learned how the Spirit of God is present within Christ's followers, and then last week we talked about listening for God's voice throughout each day. Every one of these weeks builds upon the other as we try to reflect on how God wants to be in a relationship with us more than just a Sunday morning experience. And one of the most overlooked places to experience God's presence is in the lives of people around us, especially those who are Christ followers. So here's the question we want to ask ourselves today. How do you know if you're seeing God's presence in and through the people around you? Here's why that's important. Because when you and I grow in our awareness of God's presence in and through people around us, we grow in our love for other people, we grow in our love for God, And we grow in our awareness of God's presence. So this passage we're going to look at today and next week comes from Colossians chapter 4. These are Paul's final words to the church in the city of Colossae. We want to look at what he has to say to this congregation beginning at verse 7. And we're going to read through uh, 21 and then we'll come back and pick up other pieces of it. Here's Paul's writing. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. 
They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark. Hey, there's a, finally a recognizable name, right? The cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, not that Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, some of you may have heard of him within the last, oh, let's say three years or so. We did a whole thing on the gospel of Luke that took us two and a half years. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings, and this is Paul sending his greetings, to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, unfortunately... This is one of those kind of passages that most times we would just skip right over. Hey, it's like a phone book, right? But it's so rich in meaning. And we want to extract as much as we can from this passage, therefore, two weeks' worth of readings. By the way, Paul most likely wrote this letter to the Colossians while he's in prison in Rome, probably near the end of his life. In this very poignant conclusion to his letter, he sends greetings from a small circle of friends, those who are facing imprisonment and exile themselves, so from this group, back to the believers in the city of Colossae, knowing that many of those will never reunite. In a sense, he pulls back the curtain and reveals this little circle of traveling companions and some special people whom he's writing. You heard just a handful of names mentioned, but every single one of them has a story behind them. So what I want to do between this week and next is to walk around this small circle of Paul's friends and look at their stories from what we know elsewhere in the Bible from these people and as well as this passage, what Paul has written about them and to them, we're going to see various indicators to help us recognize God's presence in and around the people that we associate with. The first indicator is this. You might be seeing God through the people around you, if you can describe how a person's character traits reflect God, see that again, you might be able to see God and the people around you. If you can describe a person's character, how it reflects God. Paul started verse 7 by saying, Tychicus will tell you, all the news about me. Now, we don't 
have much about Tychicus known. We first meet him in the book of Acts, and all we're told there is that he made his home in the region of the Roman province of Asia, which is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. But Paul, in verse 7, will go on and give him this beautiful commendation. The next part of verse 7, Paul says about Tychicus, he's a dear brother. So that means Paul and Tychicus have this relational intimacy as, as great friends. Tychicus is also a faithful minister. He's got some work to be at. We don't know what it is, but some task for the community. And that he is a fellow servant in the Lord. In other words, God is using him. And in verse 8, Paul says, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and he may encourage your heart. Epaphras, I'm, I'm sorry, Tychicus is an encourager. Most New Testament scholars believe that at a time in the early churches when there was an offering received from the churches in Asia Minor, to the poor believers in Jerusalem that Tychicus was the one who took that offering to the Jerusalem church. Imagine if you were those believers in Jerusalem who were awaiting some financial help and it's apparently Tychicus is the one who signs up for this assignment. Paul also wrote about Tychicus to the church at Ephesus Take a look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 6. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. Okay, we just heard that description of him in his other letter. He will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am doing and what I am doing. So when Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians, he's also in prison in Rome. And chances are he is chained to a Roman guard. When you're writing a letter with a Roman guard looking over your shoulder, there's certain things you can't write about, like what the prison conditions are like or what you think about Caesar. So Tychicus is going to come so that they know how Paul is doing and what's going on. So Tychicus is going to go to the people and reassure them, hey, Paul is okay. He's in God's hands. And what's more, the good news is spreading The kingdom is growing. And the people would be encouraged. Because when one human being shares his or her experience of of God's faithfulness, then everyone else has got their spirits buoyed. So when you look at the life of another person and are also able to declare the character traits in that person that you see reflecting God, then they remind you of God's closeness through them. The second indicator is you may be seeing God through the people around you if you see people not for their earthly status, but for their stature in Jesus Christ. Author and speaker Dennis Waitley writes about an exercise he sometimes includes in his public speaking. He invites eight participants from the audience to come up up onto the stage, and immediately upon those eight coming, he hangs a cardboard sign on them that has a title on it that indicates that person's status in life. Those eight signs are baby, mother, 
astronaut, janitor, NBA basketball player, rock star, doctor, and lawyer. And what he tells them is that they are to position themselves in order of importance. What you also need to know is that those that he chooses out of the audience are kids ages 7 to 11. So after some initial pushing and shoving, they start this status-seeking endeavor. Who should be in the first place? The astronaut heads to the front, and he says, I am first because I'm going places the rest of you can't go. Besides, I'm going to go look for another place for us to live because earth is getting so crowded. Well, the rock star walks up and pushes the astronaut to second place and says, well, I'm kind of already in outer space. Besides, I make a whole lot more money than the astronaut. And looking to the astronaut, he says, and you, I could purchase you as my private pilot. The next is the NBA player. I think I should go first. I make as much money as the rock star. I do this to sell out crowds all season. Besides, what I do is physical, and that's better for you. Next, the doctor walks up to make his case. I should go first because I fix you guys if you're sick or injured, and I make good money. The lawyer takes a try. I'm best because I can put you in jail or I can help you get out of jail, and all your money goes to me. Up walks the mother. I really am first because without me, none of y'all would even be in the world. The baby comes next. Well, shouldn't I really be first in line? All of us were babies before we were mothers or anything else. You know who never tries to get to the front of the line? The janitor. The one who's playing the janitor role never tries to maneuver their way to the front of the line. They feel like, well, if they tried, they would be laughed at even though it's a game. That's the way the game of life works in this world. There's pushing and shoving to see who's going to win, who's number one, who's most important, most successful, most prominent. People go through their whole lives miserable because someone else is ahead of them and that eats away at them. But if you are a person who can see other people not for their earthly status, not for their role in this life, but for their stature in Christ, you are more likely to see the nearness of God through the people around you. Take a look at verse 9 where Paul talks about another person in this circle. He, that is Tychicus, the one we just talked about, is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. We're going to come back to Colossians, but just for a moment, I want us to go to another letter of Paul in the New Testament, the letter to Philemon. It's one of the shortest books in the Bible. It's only 25 verses long, the entirety of this letter. Onesimus was a runaway slave whom Paul urges to willingly return to his master Philemon as a sign of obedience to Jesus Christ. We're about to see in a tangible way what makes this new community of faith the Christian church, so unique. It's that old divisions 
and boundaries and hostilities are obliterated in Jesus Christ. That's what we need today. For us all to have a relationship with Jesus Christ so that old divisions and boundaries and hostilities are obliterated in Christ. But beginning in verse 8, Paul writes to Philemon, Therefore, although in Christ I should be bold in order you to do what you ought to do. In other words, Paul is saying, I could command you to be reconciled and receive Onesimus back. Verse 9, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It, as, it is as none other than Paul, an old man, Paul in the Bible, I'm reading. Okay, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, verse 10, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while in chains. Now, Look at the skill and the heart and the care with which Paul works toward reconciliation. Here's verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. By the way, the name Onesimus means useful. So Paul's kind of doing a play on words here. And you need to know this, and it's going to come up. To, to mean something a little bit more in just a second. The name Onesimus was very rare among freed people, was almost given exclusively to those who were slaves. Verses 12 to 14 read, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But... I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, would be voluntary. What Paul is saying is, I'm not going to use pressure. I'm not going to use my authority. Verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother. These were radical words in Paul's day. He said he was very dear to me. He's still talking about this slave, Onesimus. Even dear to you, both as fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. That is, he is now going to be a brother to you, not just a slave. A brother to you in earthly relationships and in the church. Verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Then what Paul is going to write next, you know, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, here's one at work. This is going to be 18 to 21. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Imagine how 
Onesimus would feel, this runaway slave, going back to his master Philemon, but Philemon and the rest of the congregation knowing what Paul writes about him is that he refers to Onesimus as my faithful and dear brother. Here's the postscript I want to share with you. Several decades later, an early church father by the name of Ignatius referenced in his writings a bishop of Ephesus named Onesimus. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's a really strong chance because Onesimus was primarily a slave name that this same Onesimus, a slave, a, a nobody in the eyes of the world, became one of the great leaders of the early church. Learn to look beyond the status and role of someone and instead the stature of that person in their relationship to Jesus Christ. Then there's Aristarchus. Paul writes just one phrase about him here back in Colossians. He writes, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. Now, he writes just that one verse, that one phrase, but along with a couple of other New Testament passages, it's sufficient to provide us with our third indicator. You might be seeing God through the people around you if you observe Christ followers who stick close to those who are in trouble. In the book of Acts, Paul is in the city of Ephesus and a riot happens. And we're told that Aristarchus is one of those with Paul, a loyal traveling companion who shared his trouble there. You know, often we do okay with someone in a, in a short-term crisis. You know, a week or two, all right, I, I'm there with you. But what about if it's a long-term crisis, a financial crisis or uh, career problems, an extended illness? Are we still as loyal to that? circle of friends. There's a saying in Proverbs, a piece of wisdom that says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Does that describe you? That's Aristarchus. He was the person who went to prison with Paul. My fellow prisoner, Paul said. Chances are, Aristarchus went to prison voluntarily. Here is a guy who reflects Jesus' promise to be with us always to the end of the age. When you see people who stay close in times of trouble, you are seeing God's presence through them. Next person we see is Mark. Paul writes in verse 10. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings. As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. In Mark's life, we see the fourth indicator. You might be seeing God through the people around you if you see someone who has failed and is being restored. Some of you know the story of Mark, also called John Mark. In Acts 15, we're told that he sets out on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, but Mark quit. He deserted them. Here's what we read in Acts 15. Sometime later, 
Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with him in the work. They, that is Paul and Barnabas, had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commanded by the believers to the grace of the Lord. We find out that Barnabas reclaims Mark, and over the ensuing years, Mark does not give up. He returns to God and to the ministry to show that he is faithful. In fact, Paul makes this comment about him in 2 Timothy. This is perhaps the last letter that Paul wrote, and he says this in 2 Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. What a turnaround. Eventually, Mark is called by God to be one of the writers of Scripture And the gospel of Mark bears his name. Mark's second chance is a picture to everyone around him of God's restoring grace. It was surely evident in his life. Maybe you're here today and you have got a story that includes failure. You've tried ministry and involvement. It just didn't work out, or you've had a relationship or even a marriage failure, or you lapsed into sin of one sort or another, and you felt guilty. And how have you responded? By withdrawing. Withdrawing from people, withdrawing from ministry, withdrawing maybe even from God. Maybe you need time for further healing. But if you've already had enough time, then get back in the game. It's been done before. Determine now that you will not spend the rest of your life on the sidelines. And if you know of someone who has failed, don't give up on them either. Remember the story of Mark. Because through people like Mark, God's presence is seen and experienced by those around them. The last one we want to talk about today, Paul mentions Jesus who is called Justice. Justice, along with Aristarchus and Mark, were called by Paul in verse 11, the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. Now, because they had lived and ministered among the Gentiles, it meant that they were going to be ostracized and expelled from the synagogue. Paul's comment on Justice and the others is, they have proved a comfort to me. So the fifth indicator is this. You may be seeing God through the people around you if you see people who are bringing comfort to those who are hurting. Paul likewise shared the fate of being ostracized, of being expelled from synagogue after synagogue. We sometimes think of Paul as as this kind of hard-hearted, calloused life. But that's not him. He too needed comfort. And justice along with others saw that and they brought comfort to Paul. 
So is there anybody in your small group or circle of friends who need to be comforted? Is there anybody that you know around you that's going through a loss of some sort or another who needs a phone call or a note or a meal or just some type of personal connection? What a wonderful thing to have said about you what Paul says about justice. He was a comfort to me. I was wounded and hurt and lonely and he brought healing to me. That could be what you do as a part of your small circle. So let's review some of the indicators of God's presence that we've seen today. You see God's presence in somebody who reflects God. You see God's presence in someone who values other people. You see God's presence in someone who sticks close in times of trouble or who moves beyond failure to God's restoring grace or who brings comfort to the hurting. Ultimately, we've just described Jesus Christ. And I invite you to know him and to know his people. Well, okay, what does that mean to know him? Recorded in Acts 16, when, when asked, what should I do to be saved? Paul and Silas answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your family. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe that he died on the cross in your place for your sins. And that he rose, conquering death, sin, hell, Satan, evil. From now on. And you simply say, Lord I want that for my life. I want you. I know I can't save myself. I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. Let's pray. Father, we see a, you at work in, in others to such a degree that it lifts us when we see how others respond to your call in their life and you being so active in their lives, your Holy Spirit blowing afresh through them, we can't help but be made more alive ourselves and want more from you, more in this relationship with you. And Lord, if, that were, if that's true of us, as individuals here in this room or online, and if every church wanted that and every Christian wanted that, then imagine what our communities, imagine what this nation would look like. Were those old habits and divisions and hostilities are put aside. And we can see you and Give thanks for what you have done in our lives and continue to do with Jesus Christ on the throne. And Lord, it's in his name that we pray in the prayer that he taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.